Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our text is taken from Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, which say, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Here's a wonderful scripture that talks about this world. There are all sorts of pleasures. There's all kinds of entertainment. There are all kinds of things that can divert our attention from the Most High God. There are all sorts of paths. There are all sorts of things to think about. There's all sorts of things to do in this day and age. But the point is our delight should be in the law of the Lord and in the law meditate day and night. That's the word of God. It's the word of God that helps us to know the mind of God. God is a holy God and he has certain principles and practices that he is asking us to live by. And as we live by them, our lives are always going to be better. We're going to have less guilt and we're gonna be doing things that God wants us to do. And the point here is that we should delight in that law and we should meditate on it day and night. We should hide the word of God in our heart that we would not sin against him. And I trust as we live each day that way, that it'll be God honoring and he will use us, that it will bear fruit and we'll see him do mighty things through us. So let's commit ourselves to prayer and to the Word of God in this day and age and help us to be an influence in such a dark world. Good day. This is Dennis Campbell at Mission Go, filling in for Dr. Brian Albrecht for this edition of the Global Times. This week, we will be hearing about an interesting ministry in Sierra Leone, West Africa. We'll continue our interview with Tammy Campbell, a missionary in Sierra Leone, West Africa. What other types of outreaches and education do you do with these young women? Yes, I mean, we also have an art center we have we have a sewing center so we have sewing machines and material that are necessary for the children to learn responsibilities we maintain those necessities in a atmosphere that's protected from the weather because it's very difficult to keep the moisture out how about the girls health they all have malaria things that would help them to lower fever. I don't know if you understand malaria, but in when you have that, your fever for many days is well above 102. 
and that they are able to receive the medicine. So you have a program for that? Yes. At the clinic, the, all of the girls receive uh, medicine for malaria. Also, the children, many of them, because they have dirt floors and the eating off firewood, you know, that's being burned. And these children have other problems, digestive problems, and we have medicines to take care of those types of things. Earlier in the interview, you discussed the problem of access to water. Can you speak to that now? The main thing we have are water wells. They're community-sourced water wells. They are maintained by men and women in the village as much as possible. They are centrally located in places where the children can be monitored. So they're, if they're gathered there, they're not abused. The water is purified, so it's healthy for them. Previously, this was a major problem. The water they were drinking before provided them with death, literally. It was, it, was not, it was not suitable to drink. So is testing now part of the educational system to make sure the qualities are being reached in their education? Yes. I, I think it's interesting you ask that. A lot of people want to know what happens when, they're, when they grow up. What, you know, what do you do with them as they progress through their education? Are they able to get into these uh, tech schools and things? Yes, we have a staff that meets regularly, and our leadership has a great vision, and they live lives that are a great example for the children. Scholastic evaluations of the girls and their performance at school. We support continuing education for the girls. We support the girls who are failing in school. We get facts on the situations, and we have a temporary housing for the child with a caregiver who is learning what the needs of the child are so that we can provide for that child. Thank you, Tammy, for sharing this incredible story of a rich and deep program in Sierra Leone, West Africa. Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. I know that you are aware that this is a listener-supported program, and we can't continue to be on the air without the support of those who pray for us each week, and so we appreciate that. This month, we're offering a wonderful booklet entitled No Longer Alone by Joni Erickson Tata. As you are aware that she is a quadriplegic, she had an accident earlier in her life. Throughout her life, she's had issues with loneliness. I had a chance to meet her at the NRB convention and had a wonderful conversation with her. This booklet is a great blessing because it sort of describes uh, loneliness in several different forms, but it also has the answers of how you can overcome loneliness and how you can start looking out and, and get involved in uh, the lives of people around you. It's a very practical book and I highly recommend it. And so we're offering this free of charge if you'll just write in to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231.
Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman and is entitled, Are We Close to the End Times? Printed copies are available upon request. For more than five decades, it has been my privilege to study, preach, and teach on Bible prophecy. After pastoring three churches, the Lord led me into Jewish evangelism with another mission, where I served as their national director for the United States. I've always had a love for the Jewish people, and the Lord gave me a burden to bring them to know their Messiah, Jesus. Sixteen trips to Israel has given me a first-hand experience of many of the events taking place there. On January 1, 1997, we joined the team at Mission Go and have served in several capacities, including Jewish evangelism. The more I study Bible prophecy, the more I am convinced that we are very close to the end times, as described in the Bible. This series of messages will take us through many passages of Scripture to show you that some of the promises God has made to Israel are falling into place before our eyes. We could be much closer to the rapture than we might think. We should always keep in mind that almost all of God's prophecies deal with the nation of Israel. It centers around it. Let's begin to look at these promises. Promise number one, God would bring Israel back into their homeland in the last days. Several of the Old Testament prophets promised that in the last days, God would bring his people back home, no matter how far they'd been scattered. In Isaiah 11, 11 and 12, it shall come to pass that in the de- that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people that are left from Assyria and Egypt and from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. This is a very fascinating passage of Scripture. Isaiah lived almost 200 years before the Babylonian captivity of Judah. Much later, Jeremiah predicted in 25.12 and in 29.10, that the Babylonian captivity would last for 70 years. Then God would bring them back to their homeland. This is the first return. However, in the passage we just read, Isaiah predicted a second return. Throughout history, there has not been another return until the present time. By this time, you're probably wondering why God would bring people scattered around the world back home. Is it because they're so wonderful? They not only turned to idols and lost their land the first time, then God sent his son, their Messiah, and they rejected him too. Why should he bother? The answer is found in Ezekiel 36, 22-24 and 28. Therefore, Say to the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake 
O house of Israel, but for my holy namesake, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned, which you have profaned. In their midst and in the nations, they shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. There are two other passages of Scripture, among many others, that we could examine to learn more about God bringing the Jewish people back to their homeland. The first one is Jeremiah sixteen, fourteen and 15. That it shall no more be said, The Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands he had where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their land, which I gave to their fathers. The other passage is found in Isaiah 3, 5, and 6. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. From what we have seen so far, it is very clear that God has promised to bring, bring the Jewish people who have been scattered among the nations of the world for centuries back to their homeland again. It is also very clear that this will take place in the last days. There's a substantial group of Christians who hold that the promises made to Israel have been transferred to the church. They maintain that God is finished with Israel. Therefore, these promises are not literal. If this view is correct, let me show you how this would affect other end-time prophecies. First of all, Daniel 9 tells us there will be a peace treaty signed by Israel with the Antichrist during the tribulation. It take place if there's no Israel. And the church has already been taken to heaven at the rapture. In Revelation 7, 14 and 14, the Bible speaks of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. In chapter 7, verses 2 to 4, it says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. The passage goes on to name the 12 tribes. 
and that there were 12,000 from each tribe. How could this ever be done if there's no nation, nation of Israel at that time? According to Revelation 11, an angel measured the temple of God. In Daniel 9, the Antichrist will bring a sacrifice and an offering that will desecrate the temple of Jerusalem. Now, who would build a temple and perform sacrifices in the temple? Only the Jewish people would. We'll get into much more about the temple later in this series of messages. At this point, we're simply trying to show that for other prophetic events to be fulfilled, the Jewish people must return to their homeland just as God promised. One final thought in this subject is found in Zechariah 13. There he predicted that during the tribulation period, two-thirds of the Jews in the land of Israel will be killed. How could this happen unless Jewish people have returned to their homeland? We had the Bible predicting a return of the Jewish people to their homeland in the last days. It is very interesting to note that nearly half of the Jewish population in the world is now living in Israel. That brings us to the question, what is it that has caused them to leave where they're living and go back to Israel? A few years ago, I was in Israel and we stayed one night in Ashkelon, which is located on the Mediterranean Sea in the southern part of Israel. The next morning, we were going to Jerusalem and two of our Jewish waitresses had a couple of days off and needed a ride there. Our guide knew them, and we let them ride on the bus with us. During the ride, I asked them where they were originally from. They told me Morocco. So I asked them why they had come to Israel. They both put their hands on their chests and said the same thing. Something inside told me that it was time to go home. Folks, I've heard the same story from dozens of other Jewish people who have emigrated to Israel. Does that tell us something, or does it not? When we think through this return of the Jewish people to their homeland, there are factors from a human viewpoint that would make them think twice before going there. First of all, they would have to live in minimal housing while they went to school to learn Hebrew, which usually takes a minimum of six months. They would have to abandon all their valuables they had in their country of origin. If they were a young male, they would then face three years of military service. A young woman would have to serve two years. Then when they completed this and found a job, they'd have to pay some of the highest taxes in the world. Finally, they would face the constant threat of terrorism and possible war at any time. In spite of all the hardships the returnees would face, they still came. Just like we read in Isaiah 43, the past century brought a return first from the east. During the early 1900s, many Jews living in the Middle East returned to their homeland. I think of one woman I know quite well. When you ask her where she came from, she will tell you Persia. 
that is Iran today, but she came to Israel before it became Iran. During the mid-1900s, thousands of Jews returned to Israel from the West. Many came from Europe. Some thousands who fled because of the horrible Holocaust and others to join their families. At the same time, many Jewish people from America went back to Israel. I remember meeting a woman in Jerusalem named Rachel Finkelstein, who had come from New York City. When I asked her why she moved to Israel, she simply told me she felt it was time to go home. Russia, to the north of Israel, had the world's largest Jewish population. They could not return to Israel because they were not allowed to leave. The Russians hated the Jews and blamed them for all their problems. However, God had promised the Jews would come from the north. When the Soviet Union crumbled, Gorbachev opened the door for the Jews there to flood back into Israel. In two years, almost 400,000 Russian Jews arrived in Israel. In 1991, Israel made a deal with communist Ethiopia. And on the weekend of May 25, 1991, 14,500 Jews were airlifted to Israel in Operation Solomon. This dealt with the largest Jewish population south of Jerusalem, practicing under the laws of the Old Testament. We can only speculate that they were a result of Solomon's union with the Queen of Sheba, found in Second Chronicles chapter 9. However, we do know that they did exist because in Acts 8 we find the story of the Ethiopian Jew who came to Jerusalem to observe the feast and was converted to Christianity on his way home by Philip. God declared by his prophet Isaiah, in chapter 43, 5 and 6, that he would bring the Jewish people back home from the east, the west, the north, and the south. Though this prophecy was given around 800 years before the birth of Christ, we're seeing it fulfilled exactly as promised before our very eyes today. Amazingly, it has taken place in the exact order that Isaiah gave. Today we've looked at the first of many prophetic statements about the last days. In the future, we will be examining many more. We have noticed that the prophecies regarding the return of the Jewish people to the land has been and is taking place. It appears to me that the rapture must be very soon. I trust you have put your faith in Christ and that your sins have been forgiven. That way you should have no problem meeting Christ when he comes. I trust that the message you just heard will bring you closer to God and will meet needs in your life. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, 
we do have a great concern that people grow in their relationship to Christ. The gospel is simple. The fact is that God did all the work. And so we have to humble ourselves and realize that we're sinners for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. We need to acknowledge the fact that we are separated from God that, and we need to have a Savior. And the only Savior in the whole world is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, but as many as receive him, unto them gave he the right to become the children of God. You have to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. You need to confess your sin. And the Bible tells us that those who are in Christ are changed. They're new creations. And so your spiritual life begins with the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Don't forget to order your copy of No Longer Alone by Joni Erickson Tata. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also get past broadcasts on our web at www.missiongo.org. That's M-I-S-S-I-O-N-G-O dot O-R-G. And please remember us in your prayers. Thank you so much for listening to this broadcast, and may the good Lord bless you throughout this next week.